I reported a rape and the, the case ended in court. And he was acquitted on the basic that uh, the intention to the violence wasn't proved enough. Il President! Ma cos'è la sinistra? Hello and welcome back to Take a Left, the podcast from the Socialists and Democrats in the European Parliament. That was Kirstein Holst, Danish activist and rape survivor. Her advocacy contributed to Denmark changing their law on rape so that what happened to her would be considered rape and would lead to a conviction. Because only 13 EU countries have laws defining rape as sex without consent. The others require victims to prove the use of force or threat for the act to qualify as rape. We currently have a historic opportunity to change that in the EU. We are in the middle of negotiations between the EU's institutions on the first ever European legislation aimed at protecting women from violence. My colleague Dana spoke to Kirstine and our MEP Evan Insia about our fight to classify all non-consensual sex as rape. Tina, thank you for joining us and thank you for having made this decision to speak up. When we think of rape, we always summon this image of a stranger attacking us in a dark alley, this faceless man coming out of the darkness. This is not always the case. Rapists have faces, and most of the time it's faces that the victims know. This is a safe space. Will you share your story with us, Christina? Yes, in uh, two, 2017, I reported a rape to the police, uh, and the, the case ended in court, and he was acquitted. Uh, on the basic that uh, the intention to the violence wasn't proved enough. Uh, and I it, I got very angry uh, because uh, I thought that uh, my rights were violated and uh, I contacted a lot of organizations, among them Amnesty, uh, who at that time uh, was about to make a report about uh, rape in Denmark and I agreed to contribute to the report and uh, to contribute to the fight uh, for a new law in Denmark and also uh, to change uh, things in the system, uh, at the police, in the court system, how they handled rape cases, because I could see uh, uh, that there were many problems. And I, had, I, I think I had experienced most of them. Uh, even though I thought that uh, I was treated terrible and the police investigation was terrible, uh, I discovered that uh, my case was actually very normal for Denmark's standards. <laughs> so uh, I uh, began the fight with Amnesty and a lot of other activists and um, in Denmark and abroad. And, and we had a new law in 2021. Um, so your perpetrator, the rapist, was not uh, charged with anything. But do you think things would have ended up differently had you had already this law in Denmark at the time when it happened? Yes, because um, you know, he was charged, but he was uh, acquitted oh. in the court. Uh, because at that time, in cases where it, uh, the victim had said no and stopped, and you know, had resisted verbaling, uh, the perpetrator could still be acquitted. Mm. Um, and my case was an example of that and was used also by the legal counsel later mm. for an example of cases uh, 
where the right to, uh, to sexual uh, anatomy was uh, violated and why we should have a new law. But uh, actually, with the law we had in Denmark, it uh, it wasn't enough to say no. <laughs> um, and my case was an example of that. Uh, the victims has have a lot of confidence in the new law in Denmark. Uh, it takes some time to change the court system, mm. how they handle these cases, but the police has been much better handling them. And um, of course, also in the society, uh, we have changes the rules and, uh, and it is enough that you had said no now uh, and um, you don't have to uh, there aren't that expectation of that you have resisted your perpetrator, which is a, a terrible thing to ask a victim of violence to do because uh, it have, has a tremendous risk uh, of, you know, uh, most women know that if you fight with your perpetrator, you could get killed mm-hmm. because women get killed when they get raped. Mm-hmm. Some women do. It, it's a risk. No risk. And um, and there, there can be a lot of reasons why um, people don't resist when they are subjected to violence. For example, that you could have been subjected to violence when you were a child and your brain had learned that uh, the best thing to do when you get threatened is to be quiet and freeze. And that's a normal human uh, response to violence. Um, and that's a normal human response to rape. Uh, and, you know, the previous law we had uh, that was founded on um, culture, old ancient culture, uh, and not science, that the constant-based rape law is. Okay. Thank you for your uh, testimony. Now we're going to move on to Evin, one of the leading uh, MEPs in the European Parliament uh, fighting for uh, against gender-based violence, fighting for new legislation on the topic. Um, so it's 2023 and we apparently still need laws to tell us that it's not okay to rape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there are still countries that don't seem to get that consent should be enshrined in the law. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, that's a big and important question, of course, why. Uh, it's, the, the answers, I would say, look a bit different in uh, different member states. Uh, some use the excuse of this uh, national competence. Others actually have an ideological um, reason behind it that they don't even want the, uh, the uh, uh, directive as all, uh, at all. For example, Hungary and Poland, we know that those governments do not want the directive at all. Now, we're happy that the government has changed in in Poland that the new government made might have another stand on this. We are really eagerly waiting for the new stand. We want a yes means yes, and everything else means no. Because when you get silence, silence is not a yes. Uh, so you shouldn't even need to say no. What should require is that you said yes. Everything else should be always uh, no. So uh, we have a big challenge and we are right now um, uh, turning to the different governments and demanding for them to start understanding that we need to save women's lives and ensure the access to fundamental rights. It's not enough that half of the population in Europe have access to their fundamental rights, and we as women and girls do not. Indeed. So the the Commission last year in March proposed a new legislation to combat gender-based violence, and 
but the governments of member states or the council completely wiped out all rape provision from it. Yeah. Why? Exactly. And this was what I was just mentioning about uh, that uh, we are, uh, I myself and many other colleagues and uh, women's rights activists are very much shocked uh, that there is such a resistance from uh, countries even as uh, Germany and uh, France. Uh, right now, it's uh, the, the decision is actually on uh, President Macron's table himself. And in Germany, it is uh, on uh, the table of the Minister of Justice, uh, Michael Bushman. And these are two men to start with, but belonging to the liberal groups. And when in my world, um, the progressive forces in Europe should actually take leadership for this. But this is not the case right now. And I'm very much um, shocked. And more than that, this is unacceptable because if not, if a directive, such a directive, do not include um, a consent-based rape legislation, what should it include? Because that should be at least the minimum of what a directive on combating violence against women and domestic violence should include. So worst case scenario, do you think this is the last battle? No, not at all. Uh, we are in negotiations with the Spanish presidency uh, since it's the Spanish government who is leading the EU uh, this half year. Uh, and we are looking at a different alternative for us from the side of the parliaments. There is one red line and that's that we don't go below the Istanbul Convention uh, provisions. So it needs to be, that's the minimum standard that it needs to go hand in hand with the Istanbul Convention uh, wordings. So in this directive, we, we not only have uh, or need rape, we also have additional uh, clauses like education and, or, or cyberbullying, how to fight that. Can you de detail a bit on this? Yeah, when it comes first to the con consent-based rape legislation, we have even actually managed to ma make uh, some government change their stance. The conservative government in Sweden, for example, were not in favor of it until a couple of weeks ago. And that was after mass mobilization and uh, among the uh, women's rights organizations also and the women's rights activists in Sweden. So very clearly, everything is possible through organizing, mobilizing and jointly putting pressure. Uh, and at about the directive uh, yeah, at large, um, it is about preventing, but also combating. So uh, we need to f start talking about uh, these harmful practices that are taking place and combat them, uh, we also need to an early age start the conversation uh, about um, about uh, harmful practices and that it shouldn't occur uh, and the importance, important of, uh, importance of consent. Um, because I remember, okay, it was many years ago, but uh, when I was in much younger, uh, in the second, uh, third, fourth grade, when uh, young boys were pushing a girl, then you were told, don't mind it. Or when a young little boy was touching a girl uh, in private areas, it was, yeah, but he's curious. We need to start the conversation at an early age that we cannot touch anyone without the person's consent. Because we know that men's violence against women starts with boys' violence against girls. And that's what we as society, as grown-ups, teach the children that uh, paves the way for the situation right now in the future. That is indeed the progressive way of dealing with things and that's how it should be dealt with. But um, you, 
the the parliament, the European Parliament has almost unanimously backed your report on this, which is amazing because they're like, okay, women's rights are in our DNA. It's normal as progressives. But you have conservatives and the right wing people, uh, MEPs backing you. How how did you achieve this? I think in this case, it really showed how important it is that we as uh, progressive women, regardless of which party political group we belong to, join forces. Uh, and this, of course, when we look at this parliament, we know that it's uh, women and people actually in general from in all political groups except the far right groups. But this is nothing that we uh, expect less from the far right because unfortunately their view is constantly that they have raised it also here in the parliament that there is not such a thing as men's violence against women or domestic violence. It's just violence. I mean, we talk about organized crime. Nobody says there is no organized crime. There is just crime. And if we can acknowledge there is organized crime, then we need to be able to acknowledge that there is men's violence against women, domestic violence that is hitting mm. at least half of the population and including more children uh, also. Um, but what we did is we have two co-rapporteurs, one from the Committee of Civil Liberty, Justice, Home Affairs, and then uh, another from the Committee of uh, Gender Equality and uh, the uh, rapporteur from uh, Gender Equality Committee. And I think that for the Conservatives, it's been bigger of a challenge because in the SND, we have always taken this lead for these issues. But I'm happy that uh, I have a co-rapporteur that also is super progressive. Pina Picerno is Vice President of the European Parliament and one of the negotiators on this file. My colleague Marzia spoke to her in Brussels. They spoke in Italian, but don't worry, we've dubbed it. She starts off reflecting on yet another femicide in Italy. There is only one thing that unites us, because we are women. The fact that we are all victims of violence in any social, religious, economic or work condition. That's the thing that really unites us the most. European data on this is not different from the data of Italy. A woman is killed every six hours in Europe. Every six hours. These data remind us of the need to act because all women, they die not because of a natural disaster. They do not die because of an earthquake or a flood or something that is independent of the will. And that happens by force. They die because they're killed. But there is something special about this crime. The victims are all women and the murderers are all men. The culture that fuels this violence concerns everyone. Young people, not so young people, it must be stopped. It's about men, and this culture has a specific name, patriarchy. And this is where we must intervene. We're trying to work on this here in the European Parliament. Pina went on to talk about the specifics of dismantling a patriarchal culture which we have lived with for a very long time. Yes, exactly, as you say. It is exactly part of this patriarchal culture that we have been carrying around for centuries, I would say, and which is still difficult to completely tear down. But what can be done about it? It's not easy. 
we have to say this, because as you pointed out, we've been carrying this culture with us for decades and decades, centuries, in short, for a very long time, and therefore we must imagine a series of coordinated actions that are all indispensable. The focus on prevention, of course, as the Istanbul Convention reminds us, you know, is a legally binding instrument that helps us prevent violence. The Istanbul Convention reminds us that violence always originates from an unbalanced relationship, right? Therefore, all that legislation that we have also produced here with respect to the need to move in the direction of effective equality of women goes in the direction of preventing violence. If we reduce the imbalance that exists between women and men, that unbalanced relationship, and as I said, that is at the origin of violence itself, we can reduce the distance from an economic point of view, the gap. We did a directive on wage transparency. I recall here the Women on Boards Directive, which was also our great success, our political family success. In short, all these actions serve to reduce that imbalance and therefore to act on prevention. Then, of course, there is the issue concerning education, education sexuality, which is not done in some countries, in truth. And yes, in my country, Italy, is certainly not a topic for discussion. And this is also very important, as important as fair sentencing for those found guilty, as important as organic definition of violence. What I want to say is that we have definitions, even from a legal point of view, that differ from country to country on what violence is. I'm thinking about the crime of rape, which we are thinking about right now in the violence directive. And in many countries, there is no such thing as rape codified as a lack of consent. Violence does not exist precisely as a lack of explicit consent. Uh, and instead, we want to define it in this way. That is, we want to define that exists from a naturally legal and regulatory point of view. That it is always violence in the absence of explicit consent. Firstly, thanks to you for listening to Take a Left. Thanks to Christina for sharing her story. We're going to keep fighting to make sex without consent the definition of rape across the EU. We'll close with a new song composed specifically about this fight by the artist Ezria. Here's We Are Listening.
listening. We are listening. Consent is everything. We are listening. We will plant the seeds of justice. Does not define you. No victim blaming, no more shame. You are stronger than you know. Reclaim your body, mind, and soul. Every myth will fall. We are listening. We are listening. We are listening. We won't ask you. Listen.